Today on Best Food Forward... Often breastfeeding and the mental health of the mother, they can be quite interlinked. With me, it was just a deep blow to my confidence. The ups and downs of breastfeeding and giving your baby a good start. One, two, three, four, five. Best Food Forward. 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 Best Food Forward with Nutricia Early Life Nutrition. (laughs) Best Food Forward with Nutricia Early Life Nutrition. (laughs) This is Best Food Forward, navigating nutrition through life's first 1,000 days. I'm Georgie Coughlin and I'm joined by nutritionist, chef and TV host Zoe Bingley-Pullen. Hi there. And from Nutrition Careline, registered midwife and lactation consultant Amanda Saunders. Hi. Most of us know how great breastfeeding Mm. is. It's accessible. It's the best start for our baby's immune systems. But it isn't always a straightforward affair. We visited mum of two, Beth, and after her kids went to bed, we sat out on her veranda to hear her breastfeeding experience. When I was pregnant with my first child, I went to my 16-week midwifery appointment and she said to me, do you intend to breastfeed? And I said, yeah, of course. And she had a form in front of her that she just ticked a box. I went to a couple of breastfeeding classes and I even read a couple of books about breastfeeding. I was super keen and I just thought this is going to be a great way to have a great relationship with my kid. The birth of her first child was not what she expected. A few days later, Beth was sent home with a newborn, feeling a little shell-shocked and struggling to get started with feeding. My nipples got really sore, but my breasts just did not fill with colostrum or milk or anything. I was giving it a red-hot go and I was advised to try pumping as well and that didn't yield anything. They were producing some milk, but it just was much less than what my baby needed to thrive. I had the home visiting midwife visit for the first three days after he was born and she advised me in no uncertain terms that I needed to be supplementing with formula as well as breastfeeding and pumping. And she handed me a piece of paper that said that was about having underdeveloped breasts. My breasts just didn't have the glandular tissue to produce enough milk. The midwife diagnosed Beth with insufficient glandular tissue, which she'd never heard of. She was unsure about the next steps. It turned out that my mother had had trouble breastfeeding me and that she had never made enough milk. And so, yeah, she was probably a very big reason why I kept on um, breastfeeding because she was just so encouraging, just saying, you know, whatever you can make is going to be good and... I just had a really strong feeling that I wanted to offer up whatever my body could produce. So I breastfed him a lot and I would just always breastfeed him first while he was most alert and able to do whatever he could to get as much milk as there was. And I kept on going with that for a whole year, really. The reason why... I kept breastfeeding apart from the support that I had from my family and my partner was, I think, my idea of what the health benefits could be for him. That was definitely a factor. Beth survived her first rollercoaster ride with breastfeeding and she was proud of what she achieved. But with her second baby, she wondered if it could be different. When I knew that I 
wanted to have another child, I thought I'm going to be in prime physical, emotional, mental condition. And I achieved that. I was really fit. I had done a lot of work with myself emotionally. I was in a really good space. And um, everything kind of went to plan. Like amazing birth experience, very healing. And then again on that day three, just, yeah, a very unsettled little baby. And the diagnosis of having insufficient glandular tissue was confirmed by my midwife and she was just so fantastic. So I knew that, yeah, we really had done everything we possibly could. My first emotion to do with that was relief. I did everything I could and just a wave of forgiveness of myself. This time, Beth was in familiar territory. She was a pro. Second time around, sweet. The diagnosis was confirmed, but I knew exactly what to do. And I had been breastfeeding my second child since a minute after he was born. And I kind of just carried on doing the same thing. And I made about 50% of what my first child needed and topped up with the other 50. And with my second, I would have made about 75%. So I, you know, I had gotten somewhere with optimising something. And I think I had turned it a bit into my own art form. In the end, I fed my second son until he was a bit over two and a half. I think that often breastfeeding and the mental health of the mother, they can be quite interlinked. Absolutely not with everyone. I have friends and I know women who did not want to breastfeed, couldn't breastfeed, and it wasn't a problem for them. But with me, it was just a deep blow to my confidence. What I had to learn was that whatever I could do was good enough. And maybe other women need to learn that whatever she can do is good enough. That's a great message from Beth. Whatever you can do with your bubba is okay. Mm. Her story is a great reminder that we don't have to do things by the textbook. So true, isn't it? I mean, I just love the way she said she created her own art form. I mean, ah, oh, isn't that what we're trying to do when it comes to breastfeeding? Find the way that we can make it work without having the guilt. It's all about the baby and the mum in this situation. Exactly right. And look what she achieved. You know, yeah. she might not have been able to exclusively breastfeed, but she was still successful. Totally. And that's what I think success stories are different for everyone. Yeah. Happy mum, happy bub. Exactly right. <laughs> so true. Well, coming up, we'll chat more about how to manage expectations and challenges when it comes to breastfeeding. Best food forward. With Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. Welcome back to Best Food Forward. I'm Georgie Coughlin, here with nutritionist, chef and TV host, Zoe Bingley-Pullen and Nutrition Care Line's registered midwife and lactation consultant, Amanda Saunders. Now, ladies, we've just heard Beth's breastfeeding story. So... I hadn't heard, Amanda, of insufficient glandular tissue diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Is this something that's common in mums? Uh, it really depends. It's called hyperplasia and 
Glandular tissue is developed during puberty. So um, if there's any hormonal imbalances that happen during this time, it can affect the amount of glandular tissue that's developed. So things like hormonal imbalances or eating disorders can affect it. And it's all about capacity. It's not necessarily that these mums can't produce milk. It's the amount that they produce. Mm. So they might find that babies would feed more often because they've got a smaller capacity than to other women who have got more glandular tissue. So let's maybe talk about the whole link between a mother's self-esteem and sense of self as a mum and breastfeeding. Mm. Because so many of my girlfriends couldn't breastfeed for various reasons, shape, size of their nipples, the amount of milk they were producing, and they went through such torture mentally Mm. about being a failure as a mum. I had to express for three months until Molly Rose latched on Mm. because I had to end up using a nipple shield. She just couldn't get on because she was a little prem baby. And I beat myself up about that and probably created so much more tiredness and exhaustion from having to express. Yeah, look, I'm a small-breasted woman and when I started feeding Emily we had some issues. But it was quite interesting being that I knew that – As a nutritionist and a health practitioner, I probably would put a lot of pressure on myself. I I spoke to my sister-in-law who had also had some issues and she said, Zoe, in those first couple of days, don't feel embarrassed about or don't feel any shame about giving your child a little bit of formula. Mm. I was so grateful for that because I had a happy baby. I felt happy. And we simply just had the issue that we had a lot more regular feeding. I didn't go on a schedule. I didn't bother with any of that because I knew that the volume that I was producing was going to be less. So I had to go with regularity. But If I hadn't have got that advice first up from my sister-in-law, I probably would have carried that anxiety and that low self-esteem for a long time. What also came out of Beth's story was the importance of getting help, seeking help and feeling Mm. really comfortable with help. One of my besties is a midwife and Mm. she came around a few days after we got home and Molly Rose, in my head, was screaming her head off Mm. when when she was trying to attach and I was getting really stressed. And I said to my girlfriend Emma, look, she's really upset. And Emma just laughed and said, honey... That's not upset. No. <laughs> I was like, yeah. what do you mean? She goes, dull. That's not even beginning to be yeah. upset. She's mm. fine. And mm. I was like, oh, okay. And that just completely de-stressed me. And she just said, just sit there and just relax and really put me in a space that I felt safe and calm. So it is really important, isn't it, to reach out to midwives or people that you feel you can trust. Yeah, and sometimes you just need that like difference of opinion. You need someone mm. to come in and go, you know, this is okay. I think it all in perspective, isn't it? Because, I mean, like your experience was, you you thought that that level of scream, that oh, level I of I thought cry. she was going, in my head, she, this child's going to yeah. die. Mm. And I think also, you know, <laughs> fatigue, you're tired, you know, nutrition, you, again, your body is, is, is out of it's out of sync. It's a very, very different circumstance as well. So everything is amplified and everything feels worse than it is in a lot of cases. So getting getting that support from friends consultants, whoever it might be, is so, so important. Yeah. And in Beth's story, a great example of how good support can be. She went from being able to provide 50% of her first child's demand to being able to provide 75% for her second. That just shows her midwife was just a really good support for her and helped her be more successful. And that was really good for her as well. Now, the general consensus is breast is best, but everyone has a different journey and a different Mm. story. Why is breast milk so great? We know that it's got incredible nutritional value and antibodies for our bubbers, doesn't it? It has so much good nutrition. There is a huge link between the gut biota or the intestinal gut flora um, that's passed through, obviously, vaginally when we give breath, but also through breast milk as well. But there's more than that. As we know, there's the colostrum, protein, fats, 
carbohydrates, we have calcium, iron, vitamin A, um, vitamin D, vitamin C. It is imperative, if possible, we can give our child that start because the link between gut flora and poor nutrition obviously is a higher link to things like allergies and poor digestive systems for, you know, in future. So how can women prepare in terms of diet and health to make sure we're getting the optimal amount of milk in our breasts. Look, it's quite interesting because it's about 2,000 kilojoules a day extra that we need to be consuming. And a lot of the time when we say that to people, people go, yay, McDonald's or yay. (laughs) But it's really making sure that you have got the right amount of proteins in the diet. So a good source of, of meat, chicken, eggs, dairy, nuts and seeds, legumes, tofu. Iron is so, so critical through this period. So we're just, we're really needing to make sure that we're rebuilding our iron stores. You don't necessarily just have to eat meat if you are vegetarian or opting for maybe a more vegetarian or plant-based diet. You've got legumes, nuts and seeds, prunes, your green leafy vegetables, um, folate, we know, not only during pregnancy, but also through the breastfeeding process. And a great source of vitamin A is not only, it's not only an antioxidant, but again, it comes down to those leafy greens. And it's really important that we eat things like our vitamin A's alongside good fats. So when we've got those good fats, we're looking primarily at those omega-3 fatty acids. So again, your fish, your avocado, your extra virgin olive oil, your nuts and seeds, they are absolutely critical. Obviously, you know, we're really limiting our caffeine, limiting our alcohol. I think that's the, the, the key, key thing on that one. What I found, Zoe, when I was breastfeeding, I couldn't believe how much energy my body craved. I remember yeah. having porridge at 3.30 in the morning, like a massive bowl of porridge so that when I got up at yes. 6.37, yeah. there was a, a full yeah, <laughs> system ready to go. Yeah. But whenever I defaulted out of lack of energy and tiredness mm. to my carbs. So let's say yes. I'd have a toasty yeah. or I'd have cereal. I would never produce enough milk. Yeah. But if I made the effort to have a stew or vegetables yeah. or got my husband to do maybe even just poached eggs rather yeah. than just the toast, I would get so much more milk from yeah. that protein. Look, there is such a link. And again, it is common sense between the way that we eat and the quality and the production and the volume that we're producing within our breast milk as well. So it is so important. Organisation, we are fatigued mm. through that period. Not only are we having to produce more of everything in that period as well, we're also sleep deprived. So this is where we can use great services, online service shopping, you know, talk to your neighbours, talk to your friends, tell them to bring up, yeah. bring us, bring yeah. some food Don't over. Don't bring me a present, just bring me food. <laughs> bring me yes, food. Exactly I actually right. Bring me a tray say, of lasagna. Absolutely. I did actually say, because everyone assumed that I'd have a lot of food ready, ready at hand, but I was like, everybody, bring me food, good quality <laughs> food. That's what I valued most when people yeah. came and saw me and they brought food with them. Yeah, it's lovely. Yeah. Um, but making sure as well is that you're drinking a lot of water. I don't know if you ladies had, but I was always so thirsty whenever I fed. Mm. Um, How much water should we be drinking when we're breastfeeding a day? Around two to three litres. Wow. It seems like a lot, but... You would be surprised at how much you actually drink because of that thirst. The prolactin and oxytocin that you release when you're feeding encourages you to drink water. So making sure that you have a set up at home, a table with water Mm. and, you know, something to eat as well. That's such a good tip. And making sure you have your own little spot that you can go to each time at any time of the day mm. as well. So how long should we breastfeed for? Are there specific recommendations for that? Well, the World Health Organisation recommends that we exclusively breastfeed to six months and then beyond that point, that's when you start introducing solid foods and then they recommend continuing to breastfeed for two years and beyond. 
Would most people yeah. be around 12 months, do you think? Do you think Look, most think, mums think, and bubs fall in that category? I think on average we're seeing it, it's around that nine to 12 months. But again, you have to look at circumstances. I mean, I was back at work after three months. Mm. So this is when I had to take the harsh note off myself and be a lot more flexible. I couldn't express very well, unfortunately. So it was a bit of bottle feeding, a bit of breastfeeding. And, and I was fortunate to be able to breastfeed for that in that way till 16 months. Yeah, I was the same. I was back at the circle after six yeah, months. So yeah. there was no way that I had the flexibility. I had to express yeah. at work. And some mornings that just didn't happen because yeah. it was really stressful with live and, TV. Yeah, there's only so many times you want to get your boobs out anyway. I've been over it by the end of it. <laughs> I was newly acquainted to all the people I worked with in a very different way. <laughs> and I think we have to weigh up the anxiety and the stress of the household, yeah. don't we? We don't want a mother who feels like she's doing everything right by the book but is so stressed out and anxious yeah. and not actually enjoying that beautiful yeah. time. Yeah, look, we do put a lot of pressure on ourselves as women. Mm. I hope, you know, by talking about this today we can actually kind of soothe people out there and just kind of say whatever way works is okay. And I suppose if we remember what Beth said in her story earlier on, it's about being kind to ourselves, forgiving ourselves, and just doing what's right for you and your baby. Thanks so much for joining me, Zoe Bingley-Pullen and Amanda Saunders, and a big thanks to Beth for sharing her story. If you'd like more information and to get further advice, head to our website, bestfoodforwardpodcast.com with Nutrition Early Life Nutrition. Given the topic of today's podcast, we wanted to share that breastfeeding is best for babies and provides many benefits. We'd also like to encourage mums to eat a healthy, balanced diet to support breastfeeding. If possible, steer clear of combining breast and bottle feeding in the first weeks, as it may reduce the supply of your own breast milk, and reversing the decision not to breastfeed can be difficult. If you do use formula, keep in mind the costs involved and be sure to follow the manufacturer's instructions as using it improperly may present a health hazard. And lastly, we recommend you always consult your doctor, midwife or healthcare professional for advice about feeding your baby.